morning to each of you. It's my pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you again for having me. Um, it is always a, a great pleasure of mine that any time I may be used of the Lord to minister unto his people. We're here not to hear me speak, but we're here to look at the Word of God, to look at what God has revealed, to look at God's revelation. And that is the title of this morning's message, God's Revelation. Will you open to Psalm 19? Psalm 19 this morning. Sorry, I was on mute that whole time. Is that better? <laughs> Psalm 19, God's Revelation. We read, let us, let us read the entirety of this psalm that we may understand its context and then we'll examine it further. Beginning in verse 1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the world, and their words to the end of the earth, or the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his, his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Our God's revelation, the, the understanding of it is found, the, the gist of it is found here. He has revealed himself in, in many ways, the first of which, let us note, is by his creation. He has ordered his creation to show who he is. Let us examine verse 1. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, the sky, the, the space in between the water on the earth and the uplifted water, which is, uh, we translate that word heaven, but heaven is uplifted water. Heaven is uplifted, uplifted waters, you read back in Genesis. The firmament, the sky, the space between us and heaven, the, spa the space from the firmament shows the work of his hands, how that could also be, how it is literally in the Hebrew, the work of his hands. God has ordered his creation to show who he is. Come to Psalm 50. We see, we see this throughout, throughout his word. 
that he, that he states things such as this. Psalm 50 and verse 6. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness. Why? For God is judge himself. Say la or think on that. That he has ordered the heavens to declare his righteousness. To show forth. To make it known. That he is righteous. And that we are not. And that he is judge himself. And that we are not. That man is not the judge, but God is. Psalm 97 speaks much the same way. I show you these scriptures so that you know it's not just I'm applying my interpretation on the text. We, we, note, from, we note from the word of God that scripture explains scripture. Psalm 97 and verse 6. Here the word of God states that the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Again, he has ordered his creation to declare those things. He has ordered his creation in such a way that the words of them go out and that there is no end to their line. We read, we read back in our text in verse 2. Day unto day uttereth speech. Do you know that every day his creation speaks that to the world, that he is creator and that he is God and that he has glory and that he is righteous, that he is holy and we are not. That is what his cre he has ordered his creation to speak. And night unto night showeth knowledge. We can't see the stars during the day unless you've got a telescope that, that's really powerful and, and can do many great things. But we can see the firmament. We can see space at night. We can see the stars. We can see all the galaxies and, and everything that we can see with our eyes that declares knowledge, that declares the glory of God. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Every person that has ever lived understood these things. They understood these things, that there, that there is a God and that, there, that he is righteous and that he, his, the heavens declare his glory. Now, we understand that not, not everyone uh, acts on that. Only God can make one act on that. We'll, we'll get to what man does with that knowledge in, in just a moment. But this is there. This is there. And God put it there for a reason. To declare the, his glory and that the firmament would show his handiwork. And there's not speech or language. It doesn't matter what, what you speak, what, uh, what language or how you speak. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Their line has gone out through all the earth and the wor their words to the end of the world. Everyone knows. Just in case there's any question, we get it, we get it, told, we get it duplicated for us that there is not a single person who can deny this. What do we hear today? I need more evidence. You have everything you need. The, the rich man who was tor being tormented in hell said... Uh, go tell go tell my brothers. I have five brothers. Go tell go tell them, so that they don't come here. Because he didn't like it there. But what did Father Abraham say? They've got Moses and the prophets. They don't. If they don't believe, if they don't believe them, if they don't believe God's word, doesn't matter. They won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. We see that in our day. There was somebody that rose from the dead. They don't believe. We need a sign. We need more evidence. We need more 
wisdom. This is sophistry, as the Gentiles would say, and that's exactly what we hear today. But I, I digress. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. Everyone knows God has ordered his creation to speak these things. And he even makes that application. Come to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22. Verse 22 in Isaiah chapter 40. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the, that stretcheth out, stretcheth, stretcheth out the heavens. I'll get it out in a minute. As a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. God does those things. Man has discovered somewhat recently that the universe is expanding. Well, the, God, the word of God was true all along. It said he spreads out the heavens. He's been doing that since creation. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. He does that. He does these things. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. He shall also blow upon them and they shall wither. The whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. God makes men to be useless and full of vanity. To whom then will ye liken me? Who will you compare me to? Or who shall be my equal? Saith the Holy One. We can't compare God to anything. We can't compare him to anything and get an accurate representation. That's why he said, anything in heaven, don't make, it, don't make a picture of it. You can't get it right. You can't get it right. It'd be a graven image because it's wrong. We can't, we can't picture God's glory. We can't put it in a picture and, and, and have it be an accurate representation of the Lord God. And Jesus walking on the earth, it's a different story. But things in heaven, we can't make a picture of. We can't make a, an accurate picture of the things in heaven because there is no equal. But what does he say here in verse 26? You want the closest that we could ever, we could ever get to? The closest that we could ever get to, to the infinitude of our Lord God. Verse 26, he says, lift your eyes, lift your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things. You want the closest you'll get to me in this world? The closest our puny minds will ever understand in this life of the infinitude of our Lord God. His heavens, lifting our eyes up on high, looking at what he has created. Space, they, they try and measure it, but it might as well be infinite. That's what our God is like. He is infinite. We cannot, we cannot get close to him. But he makes that application. Lift your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power. Because of his power, because of how strong he is, not one of, not one of the stars in the heaven, in, the, in space, fails. Because he upholds all things by the word of his power. By him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, do all things consist. He holds everything together. When the Lord Jesus, uh, on the Sabbath day, when, when they, they took up the wheat and they ate it, and the Pharisees said, ah, we got you. We've been waiting for you to take a misstep. And we finally caught you. You're working on the Sabbath. And he said, 
My father worketh, and I work. He's talking, he's referring, the Jews had an understanding that God had to work on the Sabbath day. Even though he took a rest in Genesis, he had to work. Otherwise, the, the universe would implode. He had to hold everything together, and he does have to hold everything together. There will be a day when he lets go, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. There'll be an, at an atomic implosion, the likes of which has never been seen. When he stops working, the Lord Jesus said, that's me. My father works and I work. So that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He, he works, he has to hold everything together, and by his power does not one fail. Does not one star in heaven or, or anything up there disappear from existence because of his power. Now, come, uh, Paul made this application in Acts chapter 17, when, he's, when he is uh, rebuking the philosophers of his day. By the way, philosophy, men speak highly of it today, is two Greek words, phileo and sophia, love of wisdom. Sophia is the Greek word rendered wisdom in the New Testament and in the Septuagint. Phileo, to love. They love earthly wisdom. We're told, we are told to keep ourselves from vain philosophy. There is a love of wisdom that comes from the word of God. Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We love God's wisdom. We love God's wisdom, but not the wisdom of men who by their wisdom knew not God. Acts 17 and verse 20. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know therefore what these things mean. They desired to know what it is that Paul was talking about. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. This is new. We've never heard this before. Let's hear about it. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. They, they believed in, in myths and fables of which we do not follow. The disciples made that clear. We have not followed cunningly devised fables or myths, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus on, on, the, uh, on, on the mount, the mount of transfiguration. Paul wasn't there, but, but he's saying, you believe in wrong things. For as I passed by and behold your devotions or your, your altars, I found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Men ignorantly worshiping God is no worship at all. You see, uh, back in Leviticus, when the sons of Aaron offered strange fire to the Lord, to Jehovah, they even offered it to the right God. But he said, don't do that. And he killed him. Ignorant worship is no worship at all. So here he's, he's rebuking them. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He did, in, in, the old, in an Old Testament context, dwell in the temple. But Solomon understood that he did not dwell just in the temple. That it was a picture of something else. Solomon when he was dedicating the temple. Father, or he didn't say father, he said, Lord, heaven of heaven, 
cannot contain you, let alone this temple, this house which I have built. The heaven of heavens. The heaven where his throne is. There's three, three heavens. Paul said he was called up to the third heaven. The heaven where God's throne is. Heaven where the skies are, where the birds fly, where the planets are, where God's throne is. The third heaven. The heaven of heavens cannot contain our Lord God, let alone the temple that Solomon had built. He understood that, and that's what Paul's referencing. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. If we could give him something he needed, then he was lacking something. There was something he was missing. If he needed us to worship him, how could he give us life and breath and all things? If he needed something, that's what men, that's what some men think that why we worship. Oh, because God needs you to worship. He needs, he needs that, that self, uh, that, that self-actualization. He needs people to worship him. Nonsense. We worship him for our good, our good. That's for our benefit. He doesn't need it. We, we can't help. We sang redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. How can we not? worship that Lord who has redeemed us. We can't help it. We can't help but want to. Here, their gods needed something. Their gods needed to be stood up. You remember when the Ark of the Covenant was was taken by the Philistines and set next to Dagon, their God, so that they could worship the God of Israel right next to their idol. And the next day they came in and their idol was fallen on his face. And what did they do? They had to stand him up. What a puny God that you have to stand up. That you have to pick up off the ground and stand him back up. The next day, uh, his, his head and his arms were, or his uh, uh, hands were chopped off. And they understood. And they were smote with a great plague. They understood. And they even said, the hand of the God of Israel is upon us. He is the one who's doing all of these things. Let's move this to the next city because misery loves company. They wanted the other cities of the Philistines to join in on their misery until they finally said, out with the Ark of the Covenant, because they weren't supposed to have it. But I digress. There's one God, one God, and he does not need anything. He does not need anything from us. And he hath made of one blood all nations. Adam, we all descend from Adam. He hath made of one blood all nations of men, all eth- Ethnos is the Greek, all, ethnic, all ethnic, ethnicities of men. Sorry, I'm running on little sleep with sick children. So I'm a little tongue-tied. Eth, all ethnicities of men did he create from Adam, one blood, of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed. He determined all things. He is in charge of all things. This has always been his plan. Everything that has occurred is a part of his sovereign plan. Now, that doesn't make men not culpable because even those who put the Lord Jesus to death, they can only do what God's hand and, what God's hand and uh, predetermined counsel determined before to be done. But they were still guilty. They were still guilty of conspiring to murder. He determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. 
So they, they, he even determined where they would live and the nations that they would indwell and the, the borders of their nations. We want no borders in our day, but God determined that borders exist for a purpose. It was God that determined those things, that they should seek the Lord. He, deter he did all of these things that they should seek the Lord. Everybody, he did all of these things that they should seek him. Everybody should. Regenerate and unregenerate should seek the Lord. Because that's why he did those things. If haply they might. If they might feel after him and find him. Though he be not far from any of us. Any one, every one of us. He is nigh to every single person. What do men do with this? We know what men do with this. Paul is not saying, Paul is not giving an invitation here. He, he is rebuking. He is rebuking them. They think that this God is just another idol that they can toss next to their other gods. He is not a God in the pantheon. He is not a God of, he is not another God to add to the philosopher's mix. He is the God that made heaven and earth. He is a God altogether different. The same Paul said what men do with this knowledge in their natural state. Come to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress. This is what the natural man does with that knowledge. He knows that those things exist, but he suppresses that knowledge in unrighteousness. I don't want that. We, we looked at Psalm 2 this morning. Now, I did not intend for, for these to, to go well together, uh, but the Lord had other intentions. Psalm 2, we saw that the intent of the rulers and the kings of the earth, when they gather together, when they counsel together, is to cast away God and his anointed, God and his Christ. They do not want the Lord and his Christ. They do not want his word. They don't want his law. They don't want anything that could restrict their evil. Get that away from us. That's what they do. They suppress that knowledge in unrighteousness. They don't, they don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want men to tell them that he, that he exists and that he has requirements. You see in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a great, a great book for a study of this life. A study of this life without God. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity if God is not in the picture. The, the whole conclusion of the matter is that men should fear God and keep his commandments. That's what men ought to do. Regenerate and unregenerate. But here, what do the unregenerate do? They suppress that knowledge. They don't want to acknowledge him. They hold that knowledge, that truth, in unrighteousness. Because... That which may be known of God is manifest in or to them. For God showeth it unto them. How did he do it? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. He did all of these things. He makes it clear, puts it to them openly. He's not hiding anything. He's not a God that's hiding and in the dark. We read in 1 John, God is light. In him is no darkness. 
He doesn't hide in the darkness. Men hide in the darkness because they love darkness because their deeds are evil. That's why they hated the Lord Jesus because he was the light that exposed their evil deeds. They had to get him out. Or otherwise, he would have taken their fame, their money, their glory, all that they desired. He would have taken it from them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Not, not, ha not have to be studied and worked out because uh, evolution's partly true. No, it's clearly seen. The invisible things of, uh, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. They are without an apologetus. They've got no reasoning. They can't stand before him and say, I needed more. No man can stand before the Lord and say, I needed more evidence. I needed, oh, if you would have just given me this, this argument, I would have believed. They've got everything they need. They've got everything they need to know that a God exists and that he, he, he requires certain things. But they... Nope, don't want to acknowledge that. Don't, they, hold, they suppress that truth and unrighteousness. Because that when they knew God, that is, they had knowledge of him. They saw, they saw what the creation stated, what, they, what the creation spoke day by day and showed by, night by night. Psalm 19, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful. When was the last time... You, you saw an, un, an unregenerate, a man in his natural state, truly thank God for what he had done. Never. They don't, they don't thank him for a cold glass of water on a hot day. They don't thank him for air conditioning. They don't, they don't thank him for health and the manner of wealth that they've been given, the state of life that he has put them in. They don't care about any of those things. They don't, they, they, they don't care that he has given them any of those things. But became vain, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's what we have in our day, a bunch of fools. A bunch of fools. We've got the, we've got the fools running, running our country. The inmates are running the asylum. That's, that's where we're at this day. They make themselves, they stand themselves up. Look at us, we're so wise. You peons, you better not question. You better not question us. We're the experts. You've probably heard it before. Experts is just two words. X is a has-been and a spurt's a drip under pressure. That's what a former, a, a has-been drip under pressure is about, about what they equate to. They are fools. They say that they are wise, but they are fools. They are fools before God. And you may have, may have also heard the argument that my, I, asked my I asked my oldest, just to, he's five, almost six, just to confirm that even a child understands that a house doesn't just appear out of anywhere, but that somebody built it. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4 tells us, that every house is builded by some man, but the maker of all things is God. There's a creation, so there's a creator. House doesn't build itself, it has a builder. Every person understands that, and they suppress it. 
They don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want any of those things. They don't want any of those things. That's what the natural man does with that knowledge, yet it is still there. He cannot get away from it. Just as in Psalm 2, the Lord laughs at the puny man's attempt to get away from his word, to get away from him and his, and his anointed one and, and his Christ. Back to Psalm 19. We'll make it through this whole psalm. I must, uh, I must uh, hasten to, to get through the rest of it. The end of verse 4. In them, that is, in, in his words that go to the end of the world, hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. How did he do that? Psalm 33 and verse 6, he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. By his word were the heavens made of old. That's where, that's where he has made the house of the sun, the tabernacle for the sun. By his words did he do that. Which is as a bridegroom, the sun. Here's an, here's an example from nature given to us of his power, of what he has done in his creation. The sun is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. The sun is very powerful and it never ceases. It never ceases to show its power and its glory. Same as a bridegroom that came out of his chamber strong to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, from one end of heaven to the other, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. You can't hide. Men, we, we insulate our houses and we do, we do all that kind of thing, but we still, we can't get away from it. It's ever present. The heat of the sun is what God has put in his creation. Now, this would seem, upon first glance, that context changes and these are two completely unrelated sections of the psalm, but they are not. It is how God has revealed himself, one, through his creation, two, through his word. Let's look at verse 7, 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect. How has he revealed himself? Through his creation, making it known to everybody. How, how has he further revealed himself, his word? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Those, those who thought they might have been wise, when they have their eyes opened to the law of the Lord, the testimonies of the Lord, the word of God, they're made wise then. They were simple beforehand. They were not smart. They were not wise before. When the eyes are opened to the scriptures, then is, is the simple made wise. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He has revealed himself through nature and through his word. And his words are pure. Come to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. Why has he preserved his word all this time? He has preserved it for a purpose. God, anytime he does something, it has a purpose. It may not, it may seem to us like this is awful what we're going through, but it has a purpose. He works all things for good to them who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He works all things for good. Psalm 12 and verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in, the, in, in a furnace purified seven times. 
purified silver that's been purified seven times when you heat it up, the, the, the uh, stuff that you don't want them drawing a blank, the dross, yes, would rise to the top and then you'd scoop it away and then you have refined silver. You do that seven times, you're going to have really pure silver. That's what the word of God is. The purest of words. The purest of words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forevermore. His word, he has, he has preserved it for us to this very day. It has never been lost. It has never, never been forgotten. Because he preserves it for his people. He preserves it for that purpose. Proverbs 30 and verse 5 tell us again that his word is pure. So, uh, Psalm 138 and verse 2 reads this way, gives, gives further insight to what he, has, what he has done with his word. Psalm 138 and verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and, and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. If he has magnified his word above his name, his name, the Lord Jesus, his name is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But he has magnified even his word above that. A perfect name and a perfect word. A perfect name and a perfect word just for us. Second Peter. Peter speaks in, in this way about God's word. How he has revealed further the theologians refer to it as special revelation. God's word is special revelation. He had to act or else we would never know these things. He had to act or we would never know. The Lord Jesus talked about that in, in, to the disciples, Matthew chapter 13. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. For many men of old desired to see these things that you see and to hear these things that you hear, but have not. They, they desired to understand more of, God, of what God's plan was, but God did not grant them that understanding. They did not have the full revelation of God that we have. We have the fullness of God's revelation. There is no more. We'll, we'll see how this revelation unfolds, what he does with it, but there, God's not going to speak and add another book. There's nothing that came after the book of the revelation. Second, uh, Second Peter, in verse 1, in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory where, when there came such a voice to him from that excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. We didn't, this isn't something we made up. This isn't something that, that we came up, we, we had a council, and we came up with a bunch of men in a dark room and a bunch of smoke. We didn't come up with these things. We're telling you what we witnessed. They were witnesses of his majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration, where God the Father spoke from that excellent glory, spoke from the sky, spoke from a cloud. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Verse 19, 
we have also a more sure word of prophecy. What is that more sure word of prophecy? What is more sure than Peter's own experience? God's word that he has preserved for us. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We don't have to rely on experience. We don't have to test the scriptures against the scriptures. They are all pure. Everything that has been preserved for us is for our learning. We'll, we'll, and we'll, we'll get to that. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that, ta- that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Without God's word, we're in a dark place. We need his word to shine light on, did not the psalmist say, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path? Shows you where you are and where you're going, where you're headed. And if that path needs to be corrected, that's, that's what it shows you. It's what it's intended to be used as. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Because it is all written by God, you can't just take this little piece and say, well, this means this, and I'm going to follow that to the detriment of other Scriptures. Scripture explaining Scripture. This isn't talking about, as the as the church located in Rome will tell you, you private individual, you can't interpret the scriptures. That is not true. They say, oh, we've got the magisterium. We've got a group of men who are specially endowed by God to give infallible teachings. Nonsense. God gave his Holy Spirit that we may understand his scriptures. The Holy Spirit's the one who inspired them. Why can he not? grant the understanding and that's what the Lord Jesus said he would do no scripture is of any private interpretation you must take all of scripture for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost that is what scripture is that is how he delivered it to us men moved by the Holy Spirit carried as this word is elsewhere rendered carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is how Scripture was delivered to us. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. We're familiar with with all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And what it what is it profitable for? Doctrine, reproof, uh, correction, instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto most of the good works that he needs to do in this life. No, all good works. We don't need anything extra. There is nothing, nothing that we need to place alongside the scriptures. It has everything we need to be throughly furnished inside out because that's where the work begins. It begins on the inside by the Holy Spirit. Throughly furnished unto all good works. Come to Luke chapter 24. I want to see, I want to show how the Lord Jesus, what he did with the scriptures. 24. In verse 27, the Lord, the Lord Jesus did this with the scriptures. And uh, verse 26, ought not Christ to have, been, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He used the scriptures. He didn't just say, I'm going to make this stuff up. It was God's plan all along that what happened to him happened. He used the scriptures to to show that. 
He used the scriptures to teach his disciples those very things. Jump further down to verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Now these are born-again Christians having to have the scriptures opened to them. Something we need, something we need to remember. Even, even one that has been born again has had their eyes opened, has not had their eyes opened to everything. It takes time. It takes time for us to understand all that, we, all, all that the scriptures teach. We won't get it all. We won't get it all in this life. We'll be learning for the endless ages of eternity, Ephesians 2.7 tells us. And jump down further to verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. The scriptures is where the Lord Jesus always pointed back to. Always pointed back to the scriptures. Always pointing back to the word. Have you not read? Have you not heard? Have you not seen what God wrote by the prophet? Scriptures were vital, are vital. They were vital to the Lord Jesus, and they are vital to us today. They are how God has revealed these things to us. It is what we have to refer to. The third way that I'd like for us to examine very quickly how God has revealed himself. Come to Hebrews chapter 1. How God has revealed himself to us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God who at sundry times or at various, various times, many portions and in divers manners in many different ways spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's how he delivered his word was he spake to the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. The son of God the Lord Jesus, he is the ultimate revelation of God. He ended his canon, if you will. He ended his scriptures with the revelation. Men take that and say, oh, the revelation, it's about you know, end times and the world's going to come to an end. And it is. But in the very first sentence, it tells you what that book is about. It is the revelation, not of the end times, but of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is an unveiling. Apocalypsis is an unveiling. It's not, it's not an apocalypse like we think of today. That is where we get our word apocalypse. But apocalypse means unveiling. It is an unveiling of who Jesus Christ is and what he is going to do. It, is not some, it isn't something the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do everything that's described in there, but it's focus. Is him, who he is and what he's going to do. But he hath spoken unto us in his, these last days by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. That is the ultimate revelation of God, his son, the Lord Jesus. What the Lord Jesus did, come to John 1, John 1, 18. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared, or exegiomai, where we get our word exegete, hath declared him, made him known. That's what the Lord Jesus did. He made God known. He is he's the God-man. There's no denying that. You see at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
the same. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. The Lord Jesus is the God-man, and he made known his Father. He made known unto God's people who his Father was. And, and that notice the wording there. He made him known. It wasn't Buddha also made him known. You can only know God the Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus said he's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to God, his Father, but by him. There is no other way. He, he is the ultimate revelation of God. Now, let's come back to our text where we'll close with just a, a, a brief reading of the rest of this psalm. Beginning in verse 10, what are we to do with God's revelation? God has revealed a great many things. All, uh, all to his people, he has revealed things to all, all the world, every person that's ever existed, and he has revealed special things to his people, opened their eyes to it. What are we to do with it? Verse 10, more to be desired are they, God's word, God, God's revelation, than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. God's word is worth far more than gold. God's word is priceless. There is no price on the word, on the revelation of God. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. God's word warns us, tells us how to live in this life. It is a book that reveals God's son to us, what he has done. What does Paul do in many of the epistles after explaining all that God has done? Ephesians is an example. Chapter 1, the, what God has done for you. What, uh, chapter 2, by grace are you saved. Chapter 3, that Jews and Gentiles are, the Jews don't have a higher standing than the Gentiles. All are under sin. Because of what God has done, chapter 4 begins with, therefore, because of what has, ha what has gone before, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk in a way that's worthy of being called a, a, a Christian. God has called you, saved you by his grace. Walk this way. Walking doesn't save you, but because you're saved, because the Lord has redeemed you, walk in this manner. That's, that's, what, that's how we're warned. That's how keeping them is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. We, we have sins that we don't fully understand. There are sins that we, we sin by omission and we sin, uh, sin by not doing something. Sin, sin by not doing and sin that we don't know about. Secret faults. Cleanse me from those. Open my eyes to them that I may not commit them any further. How does he do that? Through his word. He opens, he opens our eyes to his word that we may see our secret faults, that we may not continue in them. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The only, the only way that that's going, presumptuous sin. I know that's a sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. Presumptuous. Presumptuous sin. Only God can open our eyes to it that we won't do it. And can give us the power and the ability to not walk therein. If left to ourselves, we may have the desire, but we don't have the ability 
to walk in the ways of God. That's why in Philippians we're told it is God that work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Romans 7 talks about the battle that's waged within us between the new man and the old man. There's a war in our members. The, the flesh fights against the new man. The new man wants to do the right thing, and the flesh wants to do the wrong thing. We can't always do that which we would unless God's working in us. It's the only way, only way that that's going to happen. Let the words of, thy, of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. May we have that mindset. May we desire to walk in God's ways, cherish what he has revealed for his glory and for his honor. Let's bow this morning. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us, how it shows us what you, what you desire for us to understand, what you desire uh, for us, to, how we are to walk in this life. May we cherish that. It is a great gift. We see 